0: Uh, I want to start talking about because I just saw your show with the APO uh, and it was like the best show of the year.
1: And Aww, thank you.
0: But, and one of the things that I realized when I was at the show and when I was writing the review was your amazing ability to give coherent discussion and talk in between song banter. I mean, let's face it, Kiwis are never pretty good at that. There's a lot of umming and awing and mumbling but you are like spot on. I mean, do you
1: practice that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just really good at talking. Uh, I, I have lots of practice talking. Yeah. Um Yeah. I mean, I think um, when you are first, you know, performing an album, like this is the first time we've performed it. So normally you don't have your kind of over time. You get your banter and your yep. your you know patter between songs. But of course, we've only just started um, you know performing this album. But I think that a lot of it has to do with doing things like this, doing interviews, yep. and people are asking about each song, and so you kind of you have the story that yeah. goes with each song um, already naturally. So I think it's kind of just condensing that down, but I think it's—I mean—years of growing up in the music business and watching my parents on stage. My dad—I—I'm kind of this crazy mix of my parents when it comes to my onstage banter because my dad was a comedian, a professional comedian. Oh, I didn't know that. And yeah. <laughs> so, so have it, like watching that skill, yeah. um, throughout my life. You yeah. know, that's very much like, you know nailing your banter and making it really concise. Um, and so I, I definitely have that. And my mom uh, was a school teacher. And so having that mix of the two of them, mom would kind of tell the, you know, the the facts and the, and the, the practical yep. stuff and dad would add the humor and she was yep. kind of the straight straight man to his comedy. So I think growing up watching that, um, I've always, for me, every artist is different. You know, like Willie Nelson is a perfect example. He's like, people don't come to hear me talk. Right. They come to hear me sing. And so he he makes a point of not talking. Um, and so he can get in as many songs as possible. Right. I'm, the, I'm like the opposite to that. <laughs> um, I oh. guess for me, growing up with a, a, a father who was a professional comedian, I watched that be um just as important a part of the show yeah yeah, yeah. Um, as the music yeah. yeah so I think that's always been a really important part for me my my kind of you know who who I am as an artist everyone's different yeah
0: Yep. yep. so it really helps you connect with the audience too and them to connect with what you're singing about because you, you give the story the backstory to pretty much everything in a coherent fashion <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well thank you depends I'm on the kidding. night
0: <laughs> <laughs> when did this album start to formulate in your mind
1: um I guess it started uh, probably about a year before the album came out so right. it's usually a process of you know the, the little bits and pieces um that you gather I I often say it's it's like um you know saving a all these little ingredients that you, that come to you, whether it's snippets of melodies or lyrics or, you know, any ideas. And you kind of, I put them in my voice memos on my phone. And and then when it comes time to kind of write a project, you're, you're gathering all these ingredients that you've kind of collected right. over the last while. Um, but this album was definitely informed by being in lockdown and in and out of lockdowns being um, a musician who couldn't tour. Right. Um, You know, it, it was a, a different way of creating than I've ever had because normally I'm kind of slotting things in. I I remember writing the Chickaboo album in a tour van with headphones on with these headphones on um, blocking out the band all like joking around and stuff in the back seat and i'm up front like writing um because that was the time i had to do it was like yeah. in between touring and family life so this was a very different way of approaching writing it was still having stolen moments between like home learning the kids you yeah, know. Yeah, it yeah. was I can specifically remember I was making dinner when Kingmaker kind of came to me and quickly like getting my voice memo while I'm like stirring with one hand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's great.
1: (laughs) I like singing into my phone with the other, you know, and, um, but, but I think when you're, when you're a parent, that's kind of, uh, of young kids, um, that's kind of the way that you, you're forced to create, but yeah, I think that being in lockdown and and being in a pandemic um, throughout the writing of this album, uh, you know, informed the way this album was created in a way that none of my other albums have yeah. been.
0: So to me, when I first, because I've been following your career for a bit bit of time.
1: <laughs> just a little while. A little bit. And when I first heard
0: it, it was, just seemed to me it was a game changer. It was something, it's it's gone to another level. Did you go with was that in your mind when you were making the record or did it be it become that do you think or it, has yeah. it become that for you I, I yeah well
1: continue. i th- <laughs> yeah yeah no I think that um I think that you know as I said like creating this album in a, in a way that um uh, I've never had the time or the resource you know right. even things like financially that's that's a restriction for artists yep. um yeah you know, not being able to afford a string section ever, or, you know, um, and that again, you know, COVID giveth and COVID taketh away. And one of the things it gave was even though I was not able to tour, um, I was able to kind of do su- some work in pockets between lockdowns within New Zealand. Yep. And New Zealand is where I have my most successful profile and audience. And so, there was that the income from those things. Um, but I didn't have any of the, normally I'm in the red all the time from mm. touring overseas. Right. I mean, we know as people who reside in New Zealand, that even leaving the country is so cost prohibitive um, for making anything on a tour. Yep. Um, so when you're, fo- you know, it used to be, I'd fly my whole band and then I'd start flying just myself. And picking up musicians on the ground, um, trying to make it sustainable. Yep. Um, so the reality is I was always, always like tens and tens of thousands of dollars, yeah. you know, in the, in the red, just trying to invest in my overseas touring market. And suddenly I thought, you know, that, that was one of the restrictions um, kind of lifted because normally it's all based around live touring mm-hmm. and, because that was removed, not only did I not have the income from it, but international touring, I didn't have that kind of black hole eating up all of my resources and my time. And so that was a silver lining actually, um, was that I thought, you know, the album that I've always wanted to make, I can make it. Um, If I can't tour the world, then I'm gonna make an album that can tour it for me Mm -hmm. Um, because for the foreseeable future, it did not look like we would be getting here anytime soon. So that, and, and, and another restriction, I'd never really realized that I'd put on myself um, was live shows were always, that was always number one. Right. Albums were to supplement the live shows. It was like, and here's a souvenir to take home of right. the show. And and I always kind of put this um, restriction on myself. Like, if I can't recreate it live, then it's not going on the album because I don't want people to be disappointed when I play live. Right. And, and so I made albums specifically like lo-fi so that I could recreate that and people would be like, this is what I came to hear.
0: Yeah.
1: And so having the live touring scenario completely removed from the equation out of no control of, of our own uh, musicians around the world. Um, it, it surprisingly freed me creatively Hmm. to suddenly be like, Oh, um, (laughs) now I can, the sky's the limit. I can make the album I've always wanted to make. I don't need to worry about recreating it live. Of course, now I'm like completely screwed because I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you did good so far. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it's not every show you get like. an no, I know, I know. A star, right? <laughs> so, but, but it's been interesting because, you know, as, as a fan, if there's an artist that I see, I don't expect it to sound exactly like the album. In fact, I like when it does. Right, right. You don't want it to. Something different. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, if I wanted to hear the record, I can listen to that at home. I want something different. Yep,
0: yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So with that in mind, so uh, uh, there's kind of an overarching theme to the album about feminism and women's place, especially in the country music and radio and all that. Was that heavily on your mind or did that just kind of come through as you were starting the writing process? Did you kind of go in with that in mind?
1: Yeah, well, I think that... um, at at the time I wrote the album, alongside that I was writing another project. I was writing a show called the F Word: oh yeah, Songs right. of yep, Feminism. Yep. Yeah, Songs of Feminism in Country Music. And so while I was writing that show um, with Dr. Jada Watson, she's a professor of musicology at the University of Ottawa who specializes in the data research of gender representation on country music or the lack thereof. Yes. And, um, and of people of color on country radio, which is even more dire mm-hmm. um, statistics. Um, and so working with her and telling these stories of everyone from Dolly Parton to Loretta Lynn to today, you know, Brandi Carlisle and the chicks yep. um, being blacklisted from country music, um, you know, and, and telling the story of these women and the adversity they faced and then the statistics, you know, like seeing that in 2021, only 13% of country music radio was made up of women. And this is across yep, yep. the United States. Like this is where country is king, you know? Yep, and yep, yep. So it, it's um, working alongside, you know, while I wrote this album, um, I think I've most definitely informed, you know, what I was writing about in the songs. And I mean, I tend to write about my lived experience, uh, whether it be family and loss and love, uh, as most artists do. And my experience is one of a female in the music industry. And so that's what I write about. And, and, and that's kind of what, what came through. And I think that a, a really beautiful way, of you know, and you, I think you referenced this in your review of the album was um, having Jada then write the liner notes for Kingmaker was kind of this beautiful way of like it coming full circle, full circle. yeah, 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 and yeah. and it tying in you know the work that we'd done, um, and it, this this was kind of the culmination of that,
0: right, right. And it doesn't seem like really country music as the the business is changing, even like you say, 2021 is the same. So you, you're going to be at this Americana Fest thing in Nashville, which I'm going to as well. I'm very excited about. So oh, cool. is that a way of like working around that system by just changing what you consider you call yourself or where you where you put yourself instead of country? I'm Americana or I'm folk or I'm mm. hip hop or whatever it is. Is that is that a way of working around that established system.
1: Yeah. I think that Americana music in general is, you know, uh, it's that classic thing of like not being off. These are people and artists and industry um, people that are not being offered a seat at the table of the country music industry. And so they're building their own table and building their own industry outside of that. Um, and, and so it's it's something that, you know, has to be done. I don't have a lot of hope for the industry itself changing because they are benefiting too much from oppressing women and people of color. Yeah. Um, why would they, ha- they wouldn't have any motivation to to change what's working for them and making them a lot of money. Yep, yep, um, yep. You know, when you, uh, kind of the perfect example of, the white supremacist roots of country music, which, I mean, we all kind of already know that, but to see it reflected, you know, uh, an artist, a male artist um, who was all over the news for, a, you know, um, being filmed using a racist slur. Right. Um, the, the infamous N-word, um, his sales rocketed. Right. After he did that, um, and he is like the number one selling artist in America. I'm talking uh, Beyonce, I'm talking yep, Adele, yep, yep. everybody. Man. And that is a, a sad testament to how the industry itself is not right. <laughs> going to um, do anything about that kind of success. Yep. 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 No matter what it comes, why it comes, you know?
0: <laughs> so uh, you mentioned Brandy Carlisle, you must, Did you see the Joni Mitchell thing? And.
1: and oh watch? my gosh. <laughs> I, was, I, I cried for I, like the I, entire day. I just watched it on loop and cried, man. Yeah. Brandy is one of those artists that transcends. um just music you know like she uses her platform and always has to um, elevate other women queer artists people of color anyone who's kind of um, unwelcome in the mainstream music business she elevates them and then to see you know her honoring Joni like that and getting to this point you know Joni having had the health issues and not an aneurysm and not being able to perform. Yep. And I don't think a lot of people realize what an integral part Brandy has played in the rehabilitation yep. of her even getting the confidence to sing and perform. Um, you know, she reached out to her and and she's been four years now hosting these Joni jams at what? Joni's house. Uh-huh. At first she did not even sing. It, she just wanted to be surrounded with music again. Right, right, right. Um, and so it was always this amazing all-star yeah. room full of people from Elton John to Paul McCartney dropping in, and Brandy was hosting this. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> and um it's it's so beautiful. You know, she's she's done it many times with uh producing Tanya Tucker's uh recent album, which was nominated for Grammys. Um you know, Tanya was very much forgotten about and uh, kind of almost kept out of the country music industry. Yep. Um, And, you know, their brandy was like plucking her out of, you know, uh, I would not say obscurity by any means about Tanya Tucker, um, but out of being unappreciated um, or underrated and lifting using her platform to lift and and obviously you know people like joni mitchell and Tanya tucker are people that already have a massive platform and um and and you know it's not like joni uh, it's not like brandy is uh um you know, uh, giving them a big shot or something. Right, <laughs> yeah.
0: right, right. The, but, but still, I mean, she's. But
1: I love seeing that. You know, yeah. it's 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 the same thing that Elton did with Leon Russell. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's honoring honoring the people that formed us as yeah. artists and yeah. making sure that they are continued to be honored. And it's it's it was just so beautiful to see that in action.
0: Yeah. So, so you are going to the States and you are going to be performing. How is that going to work for you? Are you taking the band? Are you picking up people? Are you performing solo? What's going to, what's the plan?
1: Yeah. So at the moment it's, yeah. I mean, it's expensive at the best of times to take your whole band overseas right now. It's, it's almost impossible. Um, Flights are like triple the cost right now. Yep. So I am flying, um, flying into Nashville my brother jay is gonna meet me there he's always in my band when i pro- perform internationally sure. yep and um in this instance we're going to be picking up a, a drummer um uh, and a guitarist who i i haven't played with yet so that's a bit it's always a bit nerve-wracking right. well, uh, um yeah yep. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> you'll see how it goes. You're going
0: to be there. <laughs> I will see how it goes. And I'll be reporting back.
1: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, don't make me nervous. No, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fantastic. <laughs> and I think the week that that's happening, uh, crowded houses playing in Nashville that week on the uh, so everybody. Yeah, probably, they're on. The, I like think a, is it the Sunday invasion? Night? <laughs> yeah, awesome.
1: totally.
0: Yeah. So, so w- w- back to the your music. Um, you've got Kingmaker out. Are you thinking, uh, are you thinking in terms of now, what do i going to, how do I follow that up and what am I going to do next? I mean, you've got Willie Nelson. Where do you go from there?
1: You know? Oh yeah. I've peaked. So retirement. Your peak, actually it's all over. <laughs> It was nice talking to you this is our last interview um yeah honestly um i i just can't even think because we've just released the album a few weeks ago yep. um so i'm definitely still in the album cycle of like rolling it out and yep. kind of riding the wave of seeing how this um this all unfolds yep um and yeah, I guess we'll we'll see once once that's kind of come to its cycle of completion, which is hopefully a while from now.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well no, it's I, I love the record, love that show It was mind boggling. So I mean, thank you. You talk about people weeping; people were weeping at that as well. When you were in the seats,
1: so there you go. Anyway, oh, all right. Well, there was there were, there were definite moments where I had to rein it in. Um <laughs> yeah. <yep, yep. laughs> <laughs> it's overwhelming. Like I'm, I was so grateful that we had rehearsals because uh, I could kind of let it out and get it out of my system. Yeah,
0: yeah, Just,
1: yeah, it's it's overwhelming, like for so many reasons. But like performing with an orchestra, first of all, hearing the songs come to life live for the first time, um, being on stage with you know Victoria Kelly, who collaborated with me and wrote all of the arrangements, yep. um, and who's been such a part of this journey with me alongside me. Um, and then of course my band, having not played in a year and here we are like, so there were so many emotional levels and then the, just the sheer power of an orchestra on stage with you is just, that's emotionally overwhelming, um, as a musician. So yeah. And then like, I, I did all, I did, there was a moment of losing it where I had to kind of rein it in, um. Was when I was introducing the song I wrote with my dad that yeah, I can yeah. forget, yeah. and just the thought of him hearing how what he would have felt hearing his song performed mm. by an eighty-piece orchestra—you know—it yeah. would have been a, a dream of his. That, uh, um, yeah. So uh, there were a lot of layers. I I wish you know I I kind of feel like like a wedding day where you. Um, you're in the, like the eye of this whirlwind of joy and happiness, but it goes by in like this blur. And I wish I could experience the whole thing again as an audience member (laughs) 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 to kind of just be able to absorb it.